the Bible study this evening, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to consider this evening just looking at the metaphor of the church as a building. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning, let's read from verse 1 down through verse 11. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither now are ye able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now remember, Paul is the one, as we read through this, Paul is the one who started that church. And uh, they've had different preachers there now, and so... He says, while one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord give, gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor." For we are laborers together with God. You are God's hus- ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace, which, of grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than it that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And let's go ahead and read verse 12. Now, if any man lay upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. As we consider our lesson this evening, I want to look at the church as a metaphor and consider church buildings in general. Um, Verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building." He's talking, of course, to a specific church, the church of Corinth, and he's dealing with a church that he started. Uh, He went there as a missionary, of course, as we know. He went there from Athens. And if you remember, when he first got there, he says in one place that he was there with much fear and trembling. And then recall how God spoke to him and reassured him and said, Fear not, for I have much people in this city. And then he went ahead and was able to stay there and labor, and he established a very, uh, a very strong church. This church had uh, a good number of people, but it did have problems. If we're familiar with the First and Second Corinthians, it had problems in that church. And in this chapter, he's dealing with one of those things that is so common today, where people have men that they like to follow after. In fact, it's really sad that even churches will pattern their ministry after certain experts in the field, if you will. And I won't get into any specific names, but they'll pattern ministries in their church after. And they literally follow certain men. And then they will even follow certain universities and certain colleges. There will be churches. I was down in Colorado recently. Uh, I preached up in Estes Park and was visiting with the pastor there. And he said it's really sad what's happening with a lot of churches in Colorado. If, if, you're, if, the, if you didn't come from a particular school, 
then they don't really want to have anything to do with you. And we have the same problem today as they had then. As they, I am of Apollos, I was saved under the ministry of Paul. And so that made you special because, after all, Paul's the one that started this church. And he's the apostle Paul. And then others are saying, well, I was saved under the ministry of Apollos. And we know from reading in Acts when uh, Priscilla and Aquila dealt with them, it says he was an eloquent man. He was a man with, with great speech, and he was, he was a man who had zeal. And I think he kind of had a charismatic personality, but he was a fantastic preacher. And so people were saying, well, I'm of Apollos. And they had this ridiculous... Uh, within the same church, they had this contention. And it says that you're carnal because among you there's envying and strife and divisions. And so he gives them harsh language. He says, are you not carnal and walk as men? Churches can become carnal in these ways. A lot of times when we think of carnal, we think of worldly as far as um, maybe lust, maybe not living the proper standard as we should. But carnal is just any way in which when we're supposed to be spiritually minded and we're thinking about things from purely a secular standpoint. Well, I'm of a Paul. I'm of Apollos. That has nothing to do with being spiritually minded. And so as we consider this building here, I want to just think about where the mindset of so many people and maybe we can fall into this trap and just work through. I can't deal with all the aspects in the, concerning the metaphor of how it is used concerning the church, but I just want to touch on a few things. And I might miss, leave out some things, and you think, well, man, you could have, this would be a good point. Um, trust me, I could go on for a couple hours here. <laughs> but most of the time, when people refer to a church, they refer to a building. Um, they can ask you if you're out in town. They can ask you, it happened to me uh, the other day, I was, I was working in a lady's home, and, and she, she knew that I was a preacher, and she she asked me, she's like, and I remember you telling me last year, but uh, where's your church? Where's your church exactly? And people always refer to your church is the location where you meet, the building. This is our church. Well, the thing is, is this building is vacant most of the time. The church is actually out there, is it not? But that's how we are able to identify. It's a common question, but that's just how people think of the church. The church is that building over there on the corner of Spokane, and, and uh, uh, 12th Street. This church, this particular church, has been blessed uh, to meet here um, since at this location since before I was 12 years old. Um, of course, as, as you guys know, I haven't lived here, um, but for the last three years, and I was here in the, in the 90s for a short time up in Sandpoint, but um, when I was 12 years old, when my uh, youngest brother was born, I came up and stayed with Brother Berg and his family, actually, for a month and a half or so. And I remember going to school downstairs in that big, they had a church school, and I was going to school down there. And uh, this church, you could say this church has been here for a long time. And uh, um, the thing is, is um, there's only, the interesting thing is that there's only two people that are still members of this church who were here at that time 36 years ago. The church building is still here. There's been some renovations. There's been a couple things done here and there. But the reality is, is the church is still here. Churches come and go, as we know, in people. People pass away. New people are saved, people move away, and so forth. And so over the course of time, over 40, 50 years, 100 years, 
Um, we know of a church down in Kentucky that was uh, started in the late 1700s, uh, Bryan Station, when it, was, it wasn't even a state yet. It was a fort. And uh, um, Bryan Station, but that church still exists. It comes and goes. The church is not the building, but the church is, is the people, of course. And so, um, just as a little side note, We've recently done some renovations to this church building. We redid some of the, the front here and, uh, um, and some of the things downstairs. The building can have renovations done. And it has to, if, a church is, if a church building has been in a location long enough, it will have to have. A church that's 150 years old and has been in the same location, it's going to have to have had some remodel done along the way. And it, we're looking at the church as a metaphor. And is that not also the way it is? with the people of a church, the church as people. Oh, there, sometimes a church will end up with a little black mold over in the corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a leaky faucet over here. Jesus referred to a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, right? But there, there's sometimes in a church there will be discipline. There will be directions that a church is going. And look at the churches in Revelation and how they were instructed to repent, right? Because you're heading in the wrong direction. And so there's a little renovation. There's a little remodel that needs to happen. And so uh, we see how there's maybe a little practical application to that. I was talking to a man a few years ago when we were in Colorado about some political topic. And it was regarding the church versus state type issues. And he said, if such and such happens, they, you know, they can take your build, they could take your building away. And, uh, oh, and uh, what was interesting is I, I said, uh, no, they can't. We rent. <laughs> People just assume that you have a church building. But, you know, the whole time we were in Colorado and when that church, that church was started in the mid-80s, we started off in, a rent, in an office space that we were renting. And then we went from there. It seemed like every two years we moved because the lease would expire. They would raise the rent and, and we were poor. And so we would move. And I think the church met in four, four locations, four or five different locations renting before we finally were able to buy. And guess what we bought when we bought, though? We bought office space. So in the same building, there was other business. So we still didn't have a church building. This church has been blessed to be able to have a church building for a very long time. But you see, not every church even has a church building. And then we ended up, um, the size of the church went down. We went back to renting. Good luck to the state coming and trying to take our church building. You can't take our church. And it's a wonderful thing. When it comes to persecution, we really need to understand that the church is not this. The church is the people. And when we go to camp, uh, when we have camp up at Farragut every summer, and we have those church services at night, it can't help but remind me of churches in past days that suffered persecution in Europe there there are stories of how churches used to have to go literally meet in not meet in basements they had to go meet out in the woods away from people and they would come in from different directions and there's a reason that in the 1600s churches had to get used to the concept of singing and having worship and services it's because they literally had stopped singing and having worship services because when you sing and you sing heartily, <laughs> oh, 
It causes commotion. It causes noise, and people know what's going on. There's people over there serving the Lord, and people would come to persecute. So it literally used to be so severe that churches stopped for a long time. It wasn't a common thing for churches to uh, sing worship songs. But the churches still existed. And the metaphor of the church as a building would apply whether there was a building or not. It is easy to say the church is not the building. We talk about that all the time. It's a good thing that the church is not the building. The church is who makes it, the people is who make up the church. But does our attitude display that? I wonder sometimes how much people would be willing to go to church. I've actually experienced it in the past. We know what it's like when we were in Colorado. Having churches in places that are not churchy. A lot of people don't like that. People want to go to a church. Um, Pastor mentioned uh, Sunday before last that a woman got a hold of him uh, online or on the phone and she was a little bit irritated because she showed up to the church building on a midday or midweek and the church was closed. And she said, you need to update your times on Google and let it be known that you're not open all day every day because people are used to going to the church for a religious experience. Uh, Roman Catholicism is, is big into that kind of thing. And, and, uh, but that's not the church. It's an empty building. And so, um, so does our attitude really reflect that the church is us? The church is the people. Did, early, did the early church build buildings and then try to fill them? Or did they build churches and then concern themselves with where to meet? See, nowadays, the way missions is done is you go into a, lo- you go into a location. Uh, let's say a missionary. I'll just talk about American missions. Uh, you, go, you, you feel the Lord has called you to go to a place. You need a place to meet. So you're going you're gonna to get a building. So you spend this money to get a place to meet. And, and so forth, and then you go about trying to fill that building. I think what happened, there's no think about it. I know what happened when Paul and Silas and those guys went into towns. They did not go, Paul did not go to Ephesus or Philippi or any of these places. He did not go to Corinth. We know where he went. He went to the synagogue. He did evangelism. He preached on the street corner in Athens. It says that he was preaching in the markets. And they heard about the gospel. And then they said, hey, can you come and share that with us up here on Mars Hill? Because they teach something. he was teaching something that they hadn't heard before. But what we do is we need, to go get a, we need to go get a church building. And then we focus on filling that building. Now, I understand the practical aspect of you need to have a place to meet and so forth. But that's just how we think. Is, is that's how you start a church. We won't know until we get to heaven how the church in Jerusalem conducted itself and how they met. But you know, the church in Jerusalem, I mentioned it before, but they had over 10,000 members. They were truly a mega church. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. It says a, a while later, um, and it says, and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. And then a while later, um, <laughs> there was 5,000 saved um two-thirds more than what was saved on the day of pentecost and so now you're up to eight thousand plus what was being saved daily 
It's very easy to expect that the church in Jerusalem had 10,000 people. But I don't know that they had a monstrous cathedral-type building that they were meeting in. Right? How did, how did they do that? It said they, they met daily in the temple with one accord. So for starters, they were having church um, every, every day. <laughs> now, not everybody was going, but there was preaching going on, and people were showing up to hear the preaching of the Word. And it says, and they went from house to house and so forth. They were meeting as they could, and we know that it was a special situation. They had 12 apostles to help oversee that church. Um, we know that when the persecution uh, caused them to spread, it says that the apostles actually stayed put. But others, like deacons like Philip and others, they, they went out, and, and it says the church went everywhere preaching the word. Things were a lot different in the, in the early church. Um, I don't see any mention anywhere that they broke ground on the Jerusalem Baptist Temple. Uh, the reality is, is that they became scattered very quickly, and persecution arose. I don't know that they ever built a big church in Jerusalem, church building. There was a big church built in Jerusalem, but I don't know if there ever was a building. They did what they had to do to disciple, and they met the spiritual needs of the people. They were a church. You can search the scriptures with no reference to where they all met together. The house of Jason was used to start in the starting of the church in Thessalonica, in Acts chapter 17. And there's several more examples of things like that. Uh, Ephesians 2.19. Go ahead and turn over there. Ephesians 2.19. I'll have to hurry now. I said I could go on for a long time, and I haven't even really gotten into my notes. But there's so much that can be said about the metaphor of the church as a building. But um. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built. Remember in in Corinthians he was talking about how he started the church and he said, I as a wise master builder. He he planted that church, he built it. Um, And here he says, "Um, And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are builded together in habitation of God through the Spirit. So talking to, once again, to this church in Jerusalem, he's telling them that you are this building, there's this picture of you you are a building, fitly framed together, and you're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This building, the church, the local church, needs to be fitly framed together. That's who Paul was writing to here in Corinth and Ephesus. Two different churches, and he's telling both of them, basically, you are a building. One of the things that I considered here, I was trying to read my notes that I scribbled off on the side (laughs) after, after I put my notes together. But when we think about a building. He says, you are a building fitly framed together. This building here is made up of, there's the foundation, of course. I think there's a foundation. (laughs) The way this building is put together, I don't know. But uh, anyway, there's a foundation of some sorts, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. But every building has a foundation. So, um, but then, um, you know, there's studs in the walls. uh, There's trim work. 
the you know when we were doing our remodel, we redid all the trim. There's sheetrock. There's there's all these things, and and we know of um, the metaphor of how the church is looked at as a body, the eye and the nose, and how everybody has a part and works together. Well, the metaphor of the building is the same thing, and he says, "You, the people, you are a building fitly framed together and growing together as a temple of the Lord." But Everybody has its parts. There's the nails that hold the two by fours together and so forth. And, and, you get, and you get the picture of this. To be a building fitly framed together, a healthy church is going to be a church that assembles together. Right? If a church is not an assembling church, if half of the membership is not in attendance, that's not really a picture of a building fitly framed together. To put it real ridiculously, let's say we built this building, but then and we and, but then we had, um, there was a just a section of wall, some studs and two by sixes and stuff, and it was just standing upright across the street, right? Well, that would leave a hole in the building, wouldn't it? And it's not actually part of the building. And then we have a door back there, but. We have an opening for a door, but the door is actually down, uh, down by I-25 somewhere laying in a field, mm-hmm. right? But we have a door, you know, and that's the way a lot of churches are, is there's a local church, and, and they emphasize local church, but a lot of times they have members that aren't a functioning part. What good is it to have a door of a church if the door's laying in a field somewhere, mm-hmm. Right? They're like, well, we're part, of, we're members of a church over here. Yeah, you can ask people. So, so are you a member of a church anywhere? Oh yeah, we're members of a church over here. So how often do you go? Well, we we went on Easter and Christmas and they, see people have a church where they will go, and people will even have a church where they'll where they'll tithe, but to actually be an active member of a church. It's really important that we understand the concept of a local church and these metaphors. You see how when you use the metaphors that the word of God has given us, the body, the building, and so forth, the husbandry, you can get into each one of these and you see that if you try to put it, this metaphor into the picture of what actually happens in the Lord's churches, there's too many churches are not fitly framed together and functioning together. There's rain coming in through the roof and the windows are open and the birds get in. It's just not a healthy church. It might be standing, but it, it's not very functional. And so, uh, um, first and foremost, the people make up the church. We need to concern ourselves with the people. What people want in a church is somewhere that they can attend. I'm talking about religious people in general. What they want in a church is somewhere they can attend and have a religious experience. That's it. And when they attend, they have a list of needs. They got some things that they want to take care of. They need to have comfort. Um, let's be honest. Uh, these pews are not exactly the greatest. But I've sat in worse chairs, but they're not the greatest, right? I've actually gone to church where they had the the metal folding chairs, you know, that are all oh, yeah. bolted together and stuff like that. And and you know a lot of people complain about their church and they don't attend 
is but every time I go there, I have a bad back, and when I go there, you know the the pews kill me. They need that. They need that comfort. The the lighting is bad. This this and that. The vibe, and uh, they need top notch bathroom facilities. They need comfortable seating. They need good lighting. They need a good sound system. They want to go to a church where they have excellent paid musicians. In Colorado, there were actually Baptist churches who had wonderful music services. But the, the music, and I know one of these firsthand because my, my cousin, when she went to the University of Northern Colorado, she was an awesome pianist. And um, while she was going to the University of Northern Colorado, there was actually a large Baptist church in Greeley that had connections at the university. And they would tap into the university. And Fort Collins was a university town. And these churches will tap into musicians and see if there are people who are willing to come and volunteer and play their students. And they'll come and play and volunteer at their church. And so she was asked to come. And so she went for a while and uh, was playing for this, for this Baptist church. They're not a member. And sometimes they actually have paid musicians who get up. So think about how unhealthy a church this is. This isn't a building fitly framed together. The people who are literally leading the worship of the members are not part of that congregation. How pathetic is that? But they're doing it because, listen, there are ways to grow a church. And you could grow a church. I preached a message a long time ago. But I remember preaching a message on how to grow our church. And man, if I, could grow, I could grow a church if I wanted to grow a church. But I would have such a guilty conscience. I just couldn't do a lot of what's done in churches because it's completely unscriptural. People need their church to be close to where they live. The church needs to be large enough so they can go unnoticed and not be judged. I've had people literally tell me they go to some mega church over here because I just really like it because, you know, when I go there, um, nobody judges me. Well, I also know the people and... Yeah, they were immoral. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're if you're shacking up, uh, yeah, you want and and you want to still be a Christian, uh, you're going to want to go to a church where there's a whole bunch of people and you don't have to shake the pastor's hand on the way out and you don't have to get to know anybody. Mm-hmm. See, but those churches aren't fitly framed together; they're just full of a bunch of people, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, ironically, people will put up with anything for entertainment purposes. Here's what's sad on our part. People will put up with anything for entertainment purposes in the secular realm. Why do we have to have it so perfect to keep people in church? People will go to a football game and freeze. I've been to football games. I love football. I've gone to college football games. When it was so cold, you had to stand up and keep moving and wiggling your toes. And you will sit there. And when you, when you get there, we went to a game down in Colorado uh, one time, uh, back in the day, Cornhuskers and uh, Colorado Buffaloes. It's a tradition. It was a big deal. And you're scraping snow off the bleachers when you get there, kicking snow out of the way, you know, and you're there for four hours. Mm-hmm. Are people, are Christians willing to be in one place for four hours mm. for an outdoor revival service in the winter? I don't think so. I don't think so. We will put up with stuff for secular purposes that we would never even consider doing anything so ridiculous to hear the preaching of the word of God and worship. But that's, that's where we are. 
And so it should be a challenge for us. Where are we for those of us who are here tonight? Oh, I do believe that we should provide the best we possibly can. I'm not advocating us going out and doing that. Oh, if we don't have to, but if it boiled down to persecution and we had to be out in the woods like we do at camp, are we willing to go stand out in the woods around a, bond, around a fire and, and listen to some preaching and worship wherever we can? Referring back to our main passage, and I'll, I'll wrap this up pretty quick. Referring back to our main passage in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 10, he says, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We must have Jesus Christ as our foundation. This applies in our, in our personal life, but in our, um, when our, in our church. Uh, a church that is fitly framed together has to have the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ as its foundation. Um, There are churches who do surveys in the community to find out what people are looking for in a church. Then they provide what they're looking for. It's called seeker-sensitive. There's a seeker-sensitive movement out there that's been underway for the last 15 years. And a lot of these really, really huge churches go off of the research that was done in certain areas on what, uh, um, uh, what churches are looking for. That's not the kind of foundation upon which you want to build a church. There are churches closer to our line. We could just say there are some Baptist churches even that are built upon the foundation of their pet doctrines. Right? You can go to that church and you can go for a while and in a month's time you might hear one gospel message. But they're nailing down all these doctrinal things. And that's the focus of their church. Oh, that's the focus of their ministry. It's exclusionary. Um, and uh, they're not evangelistic. They're all about putting up the walls and making sure all the, all the bad people stay out there. And, and, you know, some churches can be politically driven. Some, some churches are uh, moral issues driven. Some churches are uh, entertainment driven. But... We have to be careful as, as Baptists. We need to make sure it's important that we believe what we believe. But our church has to be Christ-centered. Yes. The foundation of our church has got to be Christ and the gospel. The church, the word of God says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. I want to read a note from uh, William Carey that was actually from, it was, this was in the bulletin from this last Sunday. William Carey, missionary to India, said, In preaching to the heathen, we must keep the example of Paul and make the great subject of our preaching Christ the crucified. It would be very easy for a missionary to preach nothing but truths, and that for many years together, without any well-grounded hope of becoming useful to one's soul. The doctrine of Christ's expiatory death and all-sufficient merits has been and must ever remain the grand means of conversion. What he's talking about here when he says that um, it would be very easy for a missionary to preach nothing but truths, and that for many years put together, what he's talking about is preach this doctrine and that doctrine, and what Bible you should, you should use, and what this and that, and just go down the list of all these doctrinal things. And this is a missionary. You could do it for years on end. But he says, you could do it without any well-grounded hope of becoming useful to one's soul. 
The doctrine of Christ's expiatory death and all-sufficient merits has been and must ever remain the grand means of conversion. This doctrine and others eminently or immediately connected with it have constantly nourished and sanctified the church. Oh, that these glorious truths may ever be the joy and strength of our own souls, and then they will not fail to become the matter of our conversation to others. Now, I like what he says there at the end. If the gospel and Jesus Christ is the primary focus and love of your heart, it will inevitably become the primary conversation and concern of your mouth and your conversation when you're talking to others because you will want to see others come to know Christ as well. And so doctrine is important. I do never misunderstand me for thinking that doctrine, church doctrine, all these different things are not important. But without the focus of Christ, it's, it's of little use. I'll just close with this passage. Um, Jesus said, I'll read this, You're, you know this passage, Matthew 16, 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then this verse, I also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That's what I want us to focus on. It's his church. He said, I, and he's the one that builds it. Does he use means? Yes, he uses us. It doesn't just happen. He's chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So we have to preach. We have to go out and start churches. But it better be at the direction of the Holy Ghost. It's his church. This church, I belong to this church, but this is, at the same time, it's not my church. It's his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because it's his church, that's why we cannot build this church body the way that we see best. We don't have the right to build this church with methods that are not according to the word of God. And I know that there's a lot of things in the word of, in, concerning church and stuff that is actually kind of gray and, and vague as far as the actual exactly how to do certain things. But you can't do things that are opposed to what would be in the word of God, right? And so we have to do it in a scriptural way. If it's going to be built, it has to be built properly and he has to grow it. He has to grow it. He has to build it. We are just to be his humble, obedient servants. All right, that concludes our lesson.